I want to talk to you a little bit about immigration because I think just about everyone, and you have said as well, agrees that the immigration system is broken. Yeah. And we need comprehensive immigration reform. Early on, I know you were tasked with understanding the root causes of the immigration yes. crisis, but you are not in charge of the border, which I think is important to point out. Ah, uh, yes, you're just the border czar, but you're not in charge of the border. And she teed up the Democrat Party talking points with all the Democrat Party-issued words. The border is broken. That's every single Democrat says that like zombies. And we need comprehensive immigration reform. What, What does that mean? That means amnesty for millions and millions and millions. That means open borders. That means what they call dreamers. Maybe their parents should have, uh, you know, dreamed of a happy life where they're from and not dragged them illegally into the United States. What was the, uh, what was the line about uh, making, you can't make illegal legal, Andre Smith said. But that's not true, of course. The Democrats can with amnesty and what they call comprehensive immigration reform starts with amnesty and wide-open borders and billions and billions of dollars. But pay no attention to that. It's the fundamental transformation of America. This is their stated goal. You would not fundamentally transform, let's say, your wife, or if you're a woman, your husband, or a Democrat, the um, unless you didn't like your husband or your wife. You wouldn't fundamentally transform your home or your hometown unless you fundamentally disliked your home or your hometown. And Barack Obama is fundamentally hostile to the United States of America, and he's fundamentally in charge of the Biden presidency. And look out for Michelle Obama uh, riding in on a, on a steed to save the Democrats Because more and more people are saying Joe Biden cannot be the nominee come election day. And they're playing games with us. They know they can get away with it because Katie Couric and the New York Times. Need I say more? Speaking of the fundamental transformation of America. More Gen Z, Gen Z Americans identify as LGBTQ than as Republicans. That's kind of an amazing story, isn't it? That is a, it's a new study. There are more Gen Z Americans. Activists have hailed a demographic tsunami headed for American politics. They put that in quotation marks. After a survey revealed that Gen Z are more LGBTQ plus and less Republican than any previous generation. A poll released by Axios on Tuesday found that Generation Z, those between the ages of 12 and 27 now, 12, so now you're identifying as gay at uh, 12 because the Democrats brought it to school and they're teaching to the test. Here's your chapstick. Now get ready for the test. Those between the ages of 12 and 27 And they're also less likely to be religious than others. This is the left. 
they're anti-God, anti-religion, because the state is God. They don't want any competition for the power that the state has. Of the more than 6,000 young people surveyed in all 50 states, only 21% of Gen Z Americans said they were Republicans, compared to 32% of baby boomers, those people born between 1946 and 1964, of which I am one. Gen Z adults were also far less likely to identify as white Christians, 22%, compared with baby boomers, 54%, and more likely to identify as not affiliated to any religion. That would be with any religion, semantically. 33% than any other generation except millennials, people aged between 28 and 43. It might not surprise many to hear that Gen Z is the queerest generation the U.S. has ever seen, with more than a quarter of young adults identifying as LGBTQ compared with just 4% of baby boomers. Now, this is, uh, and the number is 28%. And again, if uh, you're age 12 to 27, look, I I don't expect 12-year-olds to identify as Republicans. I don't necessarily expect 25-year-olds to identify as Republicans. you got to get into the workforce and pay taxes and, you know, have the state uh, do things to you and and learn that law and order and police actually matter so your wife doesn't have her skull split by a Democrat with a hatchet, but never mind that. So clearly Gen Z does not like to be labeled. Apparently they do. Uh, This is what they say in this article. They don't like to be labeled. They do like to be labeled as not Christian, not white, and not heterosexual. And they're not necessarily uh, wanting to hang their hat with a particular political party these days, said Melissa Deckman, the chief executive of research and education organization, the public Religion Research Institute told Axios. Now, this is uh, Gen Z, 28% identify as gay, since LGBTQ plus can be boiled down to gay. 28% identify as gay, whereas 4% of baby boomers identify as gay. Baby boomers were not pressured to be gay. They weren't told that it is bigoted to be straight, and the Democrats are teaching to the test. This is going on in schools and and in our culture more broadly, but in particular the teachers' unions and the schools and so on. So Gen Z, 28% identifies as being gay, um, and only 21% identify as being Republican. Young people will grow up later on. Don't worry about that. Start voting for a while. You'll find out. I was in the same situation myself when I was young and naive. Look at me now. And 27% identify as Christian, Gen Z. 28% identify as gay. This is a success story for the Democrat Party. It's over for white Christian male hegemony in the United States, and it's time for an egalitarian and equitable society. This is the radical left, the language of the radical left, and uh, the Democrats would score this as a big success, no doubt about that. That's, that's an amazing story. 
Axios, Poll, the whole thing. And the Pink News has the story there. Pretty amazing stuff. Speaking of gay, Martina Navratilova, the tennis great, and honestly, I've always been a huge fan of Martina Navratilova when she was a uh, tennis champion and a brave Eastern European immigrant escaped the, the slavery of the commies. She is gay, that is to say a lesbian, which is gay. So really, G covers L, G, B, not so much T. And L, G, B doesn't really like T, you know, but never mind that. T is creating a lot of problems for L, G, B. And the Q. Q used to be barred. You couldn't say queer. Now it's a, now it's a banner. But uh, Martina Navratilova, uh, who, by the way, is against men competing against women in sports, Martina Navratilova does. She, she always looks sad to me. That's because she comes from Eastern Europe during the Soviet days. But Martina Navratilova has joined forces now with Chris Everett. Chris used to be Chrissy Everett. Chris Everett, uh, also a, a great tennis champion and a, a world-class athlete and a smart woman. And Martina Navratilova, a very smart woman. Chris Everett, Martina Navratilova oppose WTA finals in Saudi Arabia, Women's Tennis Association uh, Championship that is scheduled to be held in Saudi Arabia, where women have no rights. And they might hang gay people from tre- from trees or cranes while the crowd chants Allahu Akbar. Tennis legends Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova on Wednesday publicly showed their opposition amid growing speculation that the 2024 Women's Tennis Association finals would be held in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Everett and Navratilova wrote in a joint opinion piece for the Washington Post saying the idea would be entirely incompatible with the spirit and purpose of women's tennis and the WTA itself. Everett and Navratilova, both former world number ones and 18-time major singles champions, who were fierce rivals during their playing days, emphasized Saudi Arabia's record of human rights violations, specifically in regard to the treatment of women and members of the LGBTQ community. It's a community. Not only is this a country where women are not seen as equal, that's generous understatement. I've spent several months in Saudi Arabia myself. It's a country where the current landscape includes a male guardianship law that essentially makes women the property of men, Everett and Nevertalova wrote. A country which criminalizes the LGBTQ community to the point of possible death sentences, just like I said. Uh, A country whose long-term record on human rights and basic freedoms has been a matter of international concern for decades. Staging the Women's Tennis Association final there would represent not progress, but significant regression. But, you know, libs run it, and also the Saudis pay a lot of money. It's like the golf thing, the professional golf thing. So uh, good for Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova, and, you know, nothing in particular against the Saudis. I had a great time for three months in Saudi Arabia. You know, Saddam Hussein had invaded Kuwait, and the U.S. military was massing, and I went in there as a news guy. Um, And speaking of Democrats, an interesting story here as well. In Ohio, they have a kind of Republican governor there, uh, DeWine, and uh, there was a 
there was a bill passed by the uh, both houses of the state house, both chambers of the state house, and they they voted to ban transgenderism for children, school age children, not of the age of majority, not old enough to go to a tanning salon in Maryland uh, and a lot of other places. But the Republicans there in the state house passed a law doing away with. Um, transgender children, because the Democrats love to genitally mutilate children. Why? Well, you know, they're growing the ranks of the LGBTQ and and all that stuff. And T, you know, T involves very often genital mutilation. Ohio Senate overrides Republican Governor Mike DeWine's veto of a bill that would outlaw gender-changing services for minors and trans athletes in women's sports. You know, we shouldn't just say trans like that's the actual word. Transgender is the word. Trans is a prefix that applies in many different contexts. The Republican-controlled Ohio Senate voted on Wednesday to override GOP Governor Mike DeWine's veto of a ban on gender-affirming care for minors, CNN writes. Now, Again, gender-affirming care. This is the manipulation of language by the radical left. If your genitals do not define your gender, how can removing your genitals affirm your gender? CNN types, the 23-9 Senate vote comes after the Ohio State House of Representatives, which also has a GOP majority, voted 65-28 to earlier this month to override the governor's veto. The governor vetoed the legislation last month, saying the state should not be making medical decisions for children. Well, that's exactly what's going on here, but never mind that. And CNN is very upset about it. The New York Post has the the real story because they cover it correctly. And what the Democrats want to do is make sure that children under the age of majority, you're not old enough to get a tattoo, all right, but you're old enough to change your gender. And you're being pushed to do it at school because Democrats and a lot of problems with them. So the Republicans overrode the veto of the governor. The governor vetoed the bill. The bill would uh, not allow for underage people to uh, engage in permanent genital mutilation, changing their gender. I'm making quotation marks because, you know, you don't change your gender. You can have surgery, but it doesn't change every chromosome of your body, every every ounce of blood in you. Never mind any of that. And uh, last month, uh, DeWine, now that uh, the Republicans have passed the bill, no men in women's sports, no boys in high school in girls' sports, in college in girls' sports, because that's cheating. It's the anti-cheating bill. And the Democrats want children to change their gender. You know, more and more we're hearing stories about children that quote-unquote change their gender and now freaked out and panicking and the suicide attempts are off the charts. The numbers are off the charts. And they want to change back, but you can't. So the Republicans said, let's tap the brakes on this. Governor DeWine, an idiot, fake Democrat, vetoed the bill and the Republicans in the state legislature overrode the veto. That's 
a win for the side of good over stupid. Hey, it's Chris Plant, excited to tell you about our July 2024 Listener Sea Cruise. We'll be sailing around the British Isles, visiting Scotland and Ireland. Please join us. Visit ChrisPlantCruise.com. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. I also want to get to the uh, 33-year-old woman that stabbed her boyfriend to death 108 times and got community service for the murder. Only 100 hours, not even one hour, for each stab wound. Law and order is not what it used to be. The Democrats love murder. Uh, Let's grab a uh, phone call, Michael. Let's go to just talking about overriding Governor DeWine's transgender surgery sports thing for minors. And uh, with that, let's go to Gene calling from Youngstown, Ohio. Gene, you're on the Chris Plant Show. Hey, Chris. Great. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. Uh, You're talking about uh, something that I'm glad happened. I was confident it was going to happen. That but our governor really is a disappointment as a Republican that he, somebody got to him somehow. I don't know how, but uh, it just reminds me that we've got a children's hospital here. And I was really discouraged to find out that they've established one of those gender care departments. And uh, they have a theme, they call it miracles and promises. And they're having a radio thon. And I used to contribute to them on a monthly basis, but I just can't do it anymore based on that. And Miracles and Promises, I figured out their gender care department, uh, they perform miracles by changing boys into girls and girls into boys. And uh, if there's somebody that somebody doesn't want to know about it, they promise not to tell. Yeah, the parents. You do it without the knowledge of the parents. Because why why would the parents have a right to know what's going on? So so they plant the seeds. They plant the seeds at school, then they do it at the hospital and keep it a secret from the parents, right, Gene? Right. Well, you know, I, I got a personal thing with this because not not my blood family, but my in-law family, uh, we've had one of these occurrences, you know. Yeah, I. Um, there's more and more of that going on. It's a new phenomenon. The Democrats are doing it. Dun, 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 dun. You know how Democrats love crime. They love committing crime. They love supporting criminals. And in Washington, D.C., we have a former Washington, D.C. city councilman who uh, has been convicted of taking bribes. And now he's planning on running for Congress. Now, in Washington, D.C., when you run for Congress, it's like Puerto Rico or Guam. We have the same status in the Congress. We elect a non-voting delegate who for about 50 years has been a woman named Eleanor Holmes Norton. Norton? And she has been there forever and ever. 
now we have this new guy who is an ex-convict who was convicted of, of bribery, which is perfect Democrat Party stuff. Michael A. Brown, the lobbyist and former D.C. city council member who pleaded guilty to federal bribery charges more than a decade ago, has said he will run to become D.C.'s non-voting delegate to the House of Representatives, joining a slate of opponents challenging longtime delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton in the June Democratic primary. Brown told the Washington Post he picked up nominating petitions on Wednesday to begin collecting the 2,000 signatures required to make it onto the ballot with a plan to pitch voters on a more aggressive, proactive approach to defending the city on Capitol Hill. That includes protections from both federal lawmakers seeking to overturn local policies. The Congress should actually overturn home rule altogether, and the city should, should be taken over by the Congress. That's how bad it's gotten here. As well as neighboring states who want to poach the city's large and small businesses. They don't have to poach. Everybody's fleeing because of all you criminals here. We're under attack, Brown, 57, said in an interview, not just on Capitol Hill, but from the surrounding jurisdictions outwardly trying to take our businesses. And we have to put up a fight. Yeah, that's probably what's going on here. So in addition to uh, Norton, Eleanor Holmes Norton, who has held the seat since 1991 and typically sails to re-election, D.C. congressional delegate candidates Greg May and a couple of other people are uh, planning on running for the seat as well. Now, there is a kind of an interesting element in all of this, um, and, and that is that uh, Michael Brown is the the son, and he uh, and he went to he was convicted, of course, and and he went to jail for uh, for bribery because you know uh, Democrats. There's a lot of that going on, and he is guilty of bribery, and, th- and then it's like, hey, in the Democrat Party. You go to jail for bribery, and you get promoted. Then you go to Congress, right? Because, you know, it's just bribery. Come on. What's the, what's the problem? Why would anybody? But here's the, uh, here's the interesting, well, an interesting element in all of this. He is the son of the now late Commerce Secretary under the Clinton administration, Ron Brown. Ron Brown. Ron Brown, Commerce Secretary, and he was a Democrat Party raconteur, and he was very popular in Washington, and I had met him a couple of times myself. He was a perfectly nice guy. He really was father, and he became Commerce Secretary, and um, and Ron Brown was killed while aboard a U.S. government airplane, crashed into a mountainside in Croatia in the former Yugoslavia along the Adriatic Sea. Um, and I've got a little story associated with that that has uh, something to do with me. Me, me, me. Uh, I was with CNN at the time and uh, assigned to the Pentagon, and I was um, in the former Yugoslavia. We were in Bosnia and uh, Croatia going in and out of um, uh, various places uh, where there was, you know, a bit of a war zone going on and stuff, and uh, covering the Pentagon. We were going in and out of there, and we were aboard this airplane, It was a 737, a U.S. Air Force airplane out of, um, well, I think this one was out of an Air Force base in in Europe. 
And um, we were traveling on that airplane in and out of a couple of spots. And we went into Zagreb, I believe, and we swapped out airplanes. And Ron Brown and his delegation got aboard this airplane and they took off and crashed into a mountainside in Croatia. And everyone aboard was killed. And an old friend of mine, an Army Colonel Mark Brzezowski, was one of the first people on the scene while people were still writhing in agony on the ground uh, and uh, shared that story with me. But back here in Washington, my best girl uh, saw the news that an airplane, and it was I think it was CNN that was reporting, that an airplane carrying a, a cabinet secretary crashed in Croatia into a mountainside and it appeared that everybody was dead. Well, I was traveling in that region aboard an Air Force plane with a cabinet secretary, the Secretary of Defense, and they did not specify which cabinet secretary was aboard the plane that crashed. Uh, And so my best girl who was at work was told by friends at work who had been watching TV, hey, have you seen this? CNN saying a a plane carrying a cabinet secretary uh, crashed into a mountain, Croatia, and everybody's been killed. And uh, so... At this time, I think we were coming into Cairo. We had left uh, Zagreb and we were flying into Cairo. And when we landed, we heard about the plane crash. And I was told, you better call home because your best girl, you know, might think. And I was like, nah, nah, she's wise. She's smart. She knows what's going on. This is, this is no big deal. And so I, uh, I waited a little while, I've got to say. I waited. And then somebody else said, uh, hey, you better, you better call. And I said, okay, okay. So we're in Cairo and I called my best girl and I got her on the phone. And she was actually very upset because... They didn't know which cabinet secretary's plane had crashed or who was aboard any of that stuff. And uh, and uh, we had just left that plane hours earlier. They picked up Ron Brown, uh, and uh, the plane crashed immediately there thereafter. And that's the short version of the of that story. That was a day at work. It was, I'll tell you. And my best girl and I were still together, of course. That was, uh, you know. That was some time ago, wasn't it? Yes, it was. <clears throat> uh, and now, you know, his son, having been convicted of bribery, is uh, running to be the non-voting delegate to the House of Representatives from Washington, D.C. And the Washington Post said today, the son of late Commerce Secretary and Democratic National Committee Chairman Ron H. Brown, Michael A. Brown, ran unsuccessfully for D.C. mayor and for Ward 4 city council member before winning a seat on the council in 2008 as an independent. He's an independent, not a Democrat. So um, that's my story having to do with that. You know. So you have it. Okay, let's get back to some other, uh, some other stuff. Some other stuff here. Like uh, Hunter Biden, who's a very, very successful artist. I don't know if you're aware of this. Very successful artist. And uh, the... Republicans on Capitol Hill in the House of Representatives investigating all the corruption of the Biden family. And they say, oh, it's poor Hunter. He's a drug addict. It's all about his father. It's all about the President of the United States. And the news media pretends you're just being mean to a druggie, right? Which is not the case at all. But never mind that. But it turns out that the very successful artist, Hunter Biden, according to Congress, and, you know, they have... uh, Everybody likes to say these days, they have the receipts. Because of testimony, we have now been made aware that Hunter Biden sold his paintings, which he made by spitting 
different colored paints through a straw. Everything he does comes through a straw. $1.5 million for Hunter Biden paintings. Financial details revealed in House GOP probe. The Washington Post doesn't report the story. House Republicans suggested Hunter Biden's finances could have led to corruption in his father's administration. Uh, None of that is past tense, but this is USA Today, so they're putting in the past tense. But his art gallerists, he's got an art gallerist, that is a person who runs a gallery, and lawyer friend said they never sought White House benefits. They had meetings at the White House with the president and stuff, but the, the USA Today, they're trying to smooth things over for him by, by look at this shiny object over here. All right. But who's buying these paintings? And how many meetings have they had at the White House? And have they met the president? And Hunter Biden's paintings have sold for $1.5 million. And he received nearly $5 million in loans to cover taxes and living expenses according to House transcripts from the Republican investigation of the president's son. It's really all about the president, but the media likes to deflect for the Democrat Party. Two of Biden's top allies, a Los Angeles gallery owner and a Hollywood attorney and novelist, revealed those financial details to the House GOP involved in those probes. Are they ever-expanding probes? The gallery owner who sold the paintings, George Berges of California, and lawyer Kevin Morris, that creepy unshaven guy with the red plaid jacket, who loaned the money, loaned wink, wink, he said that it may never have to be paid back the $4.9 million. Both told the House committees they did not discuss their business with the White House or seek favors. Well, if you can't believe them, then who can you believe? I think that's uh, perfectly normal, isn't it? Michael, um, how many friends have loaned you $4.9 million to help you with your lavish luxury lifestyle and to pay off taxes and suggested that you may never have to pay the $4.9 million back? None yet. None yet. But he remains optimistic. Of course, is your father the president of the United States? Not currently. Well, that could be a problem then. That, that could be a deficit for you. Dun, 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 dun. Burgess said he never told Hunter who was buying the paintings because he didn't want artists, you see, to start dealing directly with collectors. Sure. But we learned uh, earlier, in fact, that that's not true, even though USA Today is saying it. Um, The reality is he was made aware of who bought at least 70% of the the so-called paintings because, you know, he's a great artist. And $1.5 million. I told the story a couple of years ago when we were talking about Hunter Biden's art that a family, where were they, in Maine, found an actual Picasso in their mother's attic. And a, an actual Picasso, a genuine Picasso, which eventually sold for, I think, $130,000, if I remember this correctly. And it was a beautiful Picasso. I remember seeing pictures of it. And I was like, well, that's not all Picassos are beautiful. This was a beautiful one. Um, and it sold for about $130,000, an actual Picasso. And then we learned the same week, that's why I was talking about it, that Hunter Biden was putting up his spit paintings for five up to $500,000. It's like, wow, I'm Picasso. Yeah, well, that comes easy to me. I'm Picasso. See, that's what we got going there. You're a Democrat party. Pretty amazing out there. All right, we have, uh, we have yet more. Uh, let's go to Joe Biden, because we have Joe Biden. 
uh, to get to. And uh, where am I going with Joe Biden? Yeah, let's go to let's go to number nineteen. As Michael Pierce just yelled at me, let's go to number nineteen. This is uh, Joe Biden yesterday, uh, and this one got my attention because they're not free market capitalists. Leftists are not free market capitalists. And Joe Biden said yesterday something that rang in my ears and reminded me of two other audio sound bites that I want to share with you as well. Joe Biden yesterday on the American economy, which is the most successful economy, has led to more prosperity than any other economy in the history of the world in any country. Uh, We are the greatest, the strongest economy in the history of the world. We have a big fight in front of us. We're fundamentally changing the economy of this country. And everybody's getting a little worried about it. A little scared, a little scared, a little worried about it. Uh, and wait, fundamentally changing, that is just amazing. Why would you want to do that? Um, that doesn't make any sense at all. Why would anybody want to fundamentally change the economy of the United States? That makes no sense. Fundamentally, how would you change a capitalist, a free market capitalist economy fundamentally? Well, it is, of course, part of a a bigger picture for the left. And Barack Obama warned us about this years ago. We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Ah, and the crowd went wild. They went absolutely uh, spastic because fundamentally transforming the United States of America, fundamentally changing the economy. Michelle Obama who may be running for president soon, even though they're all lying about it. No. Um, Just the other day, did an interview with a mental illness podcast out of Great Britain, and she's talking about fundamentally changing the economy of the United States. If we're not trickling voluntarily, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then we need to be forced to trickle. (laughs) Mandatory trickling down. Yeah, mandatory. We need to be forced to trickle down, trickle down economics. They're still talking about the Reagan era, where the economy really began to boom under Ronald Reagan. Uh, Boy, and now we're going to fundamentally change the economy, Joe Biden says. But if Bidenomics is working so well, why would we want to fundamentally change the economy of the United States of America? That doesn't make any sense. None of it makes any sense. I've got RFK Jr. for you. He is uh, the son, of course, of assassinated Democrat Senator Robert F. Kennedy Sr., shot and killed by Sirhan Sirhan. The Democrats granted him parole, Sirhan Sirhan, in California more than a year ago now. But Gavin Newsom still hasn't signed the paper to approve what the parole board did in California. Yeah, the fundamental, let's fundamentally transform the Democratic Party. Let's make it democratic. By the way, Joe Biden is deploying his crack CIA director to the Middle East, allegedly to broker a major Gaza deal. What happened to our Secretary of State, Antony Blinken? He was over there pretending to do that, wasn't he? I guess our Secretary of State, our chief diplomat, failed, so we're sending the CIA director over, William Burns, who you don't hear a lot from. RFK Jr., you don't hear a lot from either. 
Uh, his lifelong Democrat, he had to leave the party because the party's gone completely insane, and he they like to call him crazy. He's not nearly as crazy as they are. Talking about Joe Biden and the Democrat Party's plan to hold on to the White House. President Biden uh, is not going to, is probably not going to campaign, and that the Democrats are relying on the court cases and um, to, to try to to try to derail the election, to try to keep President Trump off the ballot. And I think that's a very, very bad strategy. I think it's bad for democracy. I think it's bad for the Democratic Party. I just I think it's bad for everybody. Well, it's working in Senegal. So um, I don't know why it wouldn't work here. In Senegal, the ruling party is keeping the two main opposition leaders off of the presidential ballot so that they have no hope of being elected. And in the United States, the Democrats are doing the same thing. Isn't that just wonderful? And RFK Jr. obviously has some voice issues and all of that. Let's go to number 20. Number 20. Joe Biden uh, speaking and the UAW, the United Auto Workers, a very corrupt kind of mafia land Detroit union, uh, endorsed Joe Biden yesterday. And uh, and he's not a very bright man. He uh, It's where he said the things that I played for a cup about fundamentally transforming the economy. Uh, and he also uh, said this, which is a little bit funny. I mean it sincerely. I'm supposedly an expert on foreign policy. I've known every major world leader for the past 25 years. I'm so. I mean it sincerely. I'm supposed to be an expert in foreign policy. I've known every world leader for the last how many years? He forgot how many years. It's like 80 years. It's uh, honestly. Remember Joe Biden's date of birth was closer to the inauguration of Abraham Lincoln than it was to his own inauguration as president. That's true. Yeah, US, the United Auto Workers delivers a rousing endorsement of Biden over scab Trump. They called him a scab. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.